Hello, welcome to Braveful, a podcast with and for achieving women. I'm your host, Amy Zeigert. I'm so excited to share with you stories of women who are brave and gutsy. This show is a weekly view into the hearts and minds of what has enabled these fabulous ladies to take a leap and go forward with bold ideas. So join me in an opportunity to listen, learn, and lean in, Braveful style. Hello and Happy New Year. Thank you for joining me, Amy Zeigert, with Braveful, a podcast for achieving women. I wanted to kick off the new year really focusing on the power of words. And um, Karen Mefford, who is the founder of Pocket CEO, is going to be joining me. I had the pleasure of just meeting her two weeks ago through Sue B. Zimmerman, the Instagram expert. And she spoke and I knew I had to connect with her. She was just one of those achieving women who who took a risk and started this consulting company where she is a certified coach. Um, she really does put ideology into action, as she states. And one of the things that I found just a magnet to her is she's looking at human side of business and how do you bring the human power into business So I I just, I learned so much from my conversation with her. I didn't want it to end. So this podcast is going to be a little longer, but I hope you find it as insightful and intriguing as I did. You know, one of the areas we we talked about was what's going to be your word for the year. I'm sticking to my word of connection, although I still think I should also have connection slash media as I learn this media craze. And I also think the other word that we all can consider would be humanity, human. With the the way 2020 has been between pandemic, election, the inequities that we finally are bringing to the forefront that need to be equalized in 2021 and beyond, I really hope that we collectively can see the human side of all aspects of our life, not just the business side, which I learned so much from, from Karen. So I just want to highlight Karen and make sure you go to www.pocketceo.com to learn more about Karen and her ability to bring the human side to business. It's not just a lot of words, it's actually putting words into action. So I challenge you to do that. So again, let's get started. Again, Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you for being here. The event that you had with Sue B last week, you know, and I printed it out. I thought it was absolutely fantastic human power words. And I think the one thing that I have learned over the last 18 months is that we talk a good talk about empathy. We talk a good talk about weaving the human thought process, the human emotion, you know, physical, spiritual that you have, yet no one puts it into practice. No, right. It, It never makes the end user when you work in a large corporation and you obviously have this experience too, there is so much resource, you know, I'm blown away. I, I worked at Thomson Reuters. It's a company, so much resource, like abundance and training and enrichment and culture trainings. And I was always very impressed by it, but you still were missing the piece, which was like connecting to the human and helping them understand how this could value them or what did it, did it fit like something that they were looking to grow or develop within themselves, you know? Totally agree with that. And so, so I guess 
we can get started from a podcast perspective because this is kind of where I want to go. I, I really want to highlight, you know, after going to your website, looking at everything, reading, I mean, I see so much synergy between the two of us and, you know, you sit on board, not for profits. I, you know, the same thing. Let me give you a real quick reason why Braveful came yeah. to be. Well, I love the name too. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So probably six, seven, eight, it's probably been eight, eight years ago. My mother-in-law, who used to call herself my mother in love, she thought mother-in-law was such a negative term. So she always said, I'm I'm your mother in love. I'm like, I'll take oh, it. She's a great person. Oh, hi. I love that. Yeah. yeah. So she introduced me to a woman, Melody Ross, who is now part of Melody Ross Media. She had started this whole Brave Girls kind of following. And so I went and got certified instructor, did all of that, thinking, what's my second act going to be? And so I just kind of built upon that. So, you know, one of the things I learned through this pandemic is there are so many amazing, brave women who are doing exactly what you have done. They've left the secure nest of corporate America or even left, you know, a negative relationship, whatever it it, it might be. And so I thought I need to highlight these women because everybody's talking about politics. Everybody's talking about the pandemic. Why are we not focusing on the great things that women are doing around the world? And so that's when I just said, you know, this has always been a dream of mine to do a podcast. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to highlight what women are doing and we're going to we're going to let people know that it's okay to take a risk. It's okay to as I say be be braveful, but more importantly, how can I help you share your story so that you can even bring human power words to people? You can um we can evangelize that what you are doing with the pocket CEO. So that's what's really important to me. And so when I listened to you talk with Sue B, I thought, oh, my God, I've got to connect with her. She's a connection I want to make. So, so kind and so makes me so excited, makes my heart full for sure to hear that. I love your mission and the idea of highlighting people stepping into, you know, all humans stepping into their most brave versions of themselves, you know, which which is kind of with us all along. Like, I mean, and that's the thing we don't, we don't know, you know, this is, we like to overcomplicate it, I think, with systems and ideas. And You bring up a good point. There isn't just a magic bullet that's gonna explode and everything's gonna come to being. I think we have to all put a thought process into it. And I think, I know for me, it took a while for me to take that mental, emotional step to say, I don't need corporate America. I can actually depend on me to make this. So when I look at what you've been able to do, what in your head said, okay, I can go and step out on my own and create the pocket CEO. Right. It's a good question because, you know, I I really, I actually liked, I loved the people and was very energized by the people I worked with, of course, you know, and it always comes back to that, right? You're always energized by the people that you are working with or surround yourself with. I had certified myself in coaching um, about six years ago. I had always been curious about what makes humans tick and I, and what, what transforms from our ideology into behavior, into action. And this was always sort of a topic that interested me. 
And I thought, and people often would share with me for whatever reason, I had had always attracted people that felt that they could trust me with things and which was lovely. I mean, it's a very nice thing. And so I had gotten my certification in coaching and it had been, this idea had been ruminating around, but I didn't know what I wanted to, in what direction I wanted to go in with that. Because another passion of mine had always been business and like the operation of industry in general has always been very interesting to me and how to me actually honestly I think corporations it's almost it's almost a miracle that we get done what we get done because there is a lot of layers and there is a lot of machinations and constructs but really what makes it so what is that right what is that that gets it done and and, and inevitably it is human and inevitably it is individuals and it, it is how relationships are curated, it's understanding, it's things like how we communicate and convey mission to execution. And then also incite like the desire within ourselves to actually do the job we're being paid to do. And so this, this idea of, uh, you know, like sort of having a knack for helping people with a marketing plan or a business strategy was something that was a strength of mine. And then combining the coaching world with that. And that was really what launched. I said, you know, when I worked with small business owners in particular who put their whole life into their business, I mean, they just put their whole selves into it and they need support and they need structure and they need guidance for sure. But what they really need, you know, one of my clients said to me, I just need you in my pocket because what I don't have is like all my questions every Tuesday or once a month on a Tuesday or whatever, you know? And I was like, well, that's an idea. Like your pocket CEO, you need your pocket person that you can reach out to and like sift through and unscramble your brain to get the clarity. That's great. So that was the genesis of my pocket CEO. And then my husband and I talked a lot about I, I, unlike the week before my wedding, I didn't just spontaneously, you know, choose to stop. I, we consulted and he was, he basically pushed me into the timing because he, he would listen to me talking about it. And, and he was like, if you, you know, just, there's no time, like, don't do it now. You'll never do it. Go. And he really gave me uh, the wings. I think I, I needed to take the leap because I felt really you know, you feel accountable to your job. You feel accountable to your family. Um, my, the timing was good because my daughters were kind of on, uh, you know, through college or just about to be through college. So I, we felt like, okay. And, and really my, I, I mean, I thank my husband, uh, as a partner who really just was like, you just got to go. That's when we launched my pocket CEO and it, and it, you know, started with a few clients, but now really evolving into thought, this thought leadership about what your human power is, that it resides within us. How do we tap into it? I think that's the hardest part for people. You know, it's not that business strategy per se is uh, too difficult to understand, you know, the rules of business, the principles, the guiding principles of business from a operational point of view are pretty clear. You know, you are going to sell a product or service for a cost. There's an exchange, there's a transaction, and you're going to make sure that you manage your costs and your budgets to make sure that you stay profitable, right? That's the basic model. So how is this new human-centered, human-powered thought process being accepted? Are you getting... I mean, I'm curious because I... When I heard you the first time, 
I, I was like, wow, this makes so much sense. It adds on to that empathetic point of view that we all seem to be taking. Correct. And it also like actually in the in the end, I would argue it actually is going to give you a better financial bottom line as well, because you're going to have things like increased retention. You're going to be employees in their zones of genius more acutely. If you take the time to do the work and you offer this opportunity for human development to be an equal bottom line, you know, like a dual, it's literally a dual bottom line system. So, you know, there are examples to answer your question. There are examples of companies that are sort of like on the forefront of these, this concept companies like Patagonia and, you know, very sustainably driven enterprises that have really bridged that gap from we're just a um, socially minded company to we're a billion dollar socially minded company. And so those, but but I think sometimes there could be a tendency to say like, well, those are still outliers, you know, Patagonia, right. they're like a couple hiking Frenchmen that decided to start this, you know, <laughs> apparel yeah. business and, right. and then, but, but I think of all the innovation that was required to be a successful financial enterprise and not only to require innovation, they always had the standard of not compromising the humanity piece of it because their commitment was to the least impact and saving the planet. And humanity is part of saving the planet quite pragmatically, not just in a, in a sort of emotional way, but just really pragmatically in order for us to survive and thrive and continue to evolve. It is an essential component. So Patagonia is one case study and people kind of know it, but I think uh, there are other interesting companies that have adopted this idea of a dual bottom line. Enpro is a company that makes sealants, like very non-sexy, like sealants, you know, (laughs) for aeronautical parts or something. I'm sure I'm not doing it justice. And they had a, a CEO who transformed the bottom line analysis of their company to be, and it's a publicly held company, they would say there's a financial bottom line and there's a human development bottom line. And in that human development bottom line, the development of each of our employees, so the existence of our company is because of humans, the development of each of our employees to reach their their best selves is going to be a priority because we know and we understand that this is how we're going to yield their optimum creativity, their optimum innovation, their optimum productivity. And so they, it took them about eight years to really get this through. Not, not an easy prospect at all, I don't think. But I, but I do think what they're seeing is this unexpected benefit, which is their financial bottom line continues to improve. Why do you think it took eight years? I think when you're taking a, a large structure, you have to do it in pockets. So the way they did it is they started with the leadership because they knew they had to get the leadership to go through the process first. And literally, the, when I talk about the process, they went through the process of like roundtable discussions, untangling, unscrambling those limiting ideas and fears that were within themselves very often related to childhood trauma or some something. So they went deep. This wasn't like, we're going to have a culture badge that says we're human development. This was (laughs) like, we're going to crack open whatever those limitations are and help people get to the other side of that. And it was transformative. And they did it all the way down to their, you know, 
janitorial staff, their factory staff. So like they looked at every human entity or contributor to the enterprise to make that happen. Wow. It's pretty remarkable. And I think that the the like side effect, so you've got a better bottom line because now it did require that it meant that they were willing as an organization to say, to maybe lose some really good employees because in that process, those humans are going to realize some things about themselves and come into self-awareness that may not right. be aligned with that corporate mission or that, that business's mission. And that's okay. That's right. Cause you're not really getting the best out of them anyway. What you want right. is the people that are the most aligned. It's an integration, right. Of your personal and professional selves. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, I think 25 years ago, that didn't exist. No. You kept... No, no, no. Containers, right? Containers, like... Right. Right. And the problem with the container model is that, like, then it really meant if you were at the office for 12 hours, you were better, right? You were a superior producer, a harder worker, bigger hustler, a, you know, an A player, Right. And if you were at the office eight hours, maybe producing just the same amount of output, there was a negative connotation to that. And so what's the, the ripple effect to that? If we're at the office 12 hours, we're feeling burnout more. I mean, where we are now is like massive amounts of burnout of the grind, not feeling heard, not feeling seen, not even feeling like what they're doing has meaning. There's such a better choice. I don't have so much judgment about what is. It's just more about like we have this opportunity of a better choice and a better way to, to yield our best potential if we're allowed to bring that to work because we're bringing it anyway. I mean, even if you're going to work as like a, as a robot or as a, like putting on your work face or your game face, you know, you're still, your humanity is still there. You know, it's still with you. It's still informing your decisions. It's still influencing how you think, feel, respond, react, all of these functions, you know? And I, I, I think there's power in understanding that, that piece of it. Humanity is still there. That is a powerful statement because you're right. It goes with us wherever we go. It doesn't change when you get in the car or turn on the the Zoom conversation, it's still there. Oh, wow. So you also mentioned zones of genius. What is zones of genius? I'm fascinated by that. For, I'm like, okay, what is that? And how, how do you get there? Well, first of all, we everyone has a zone of genius. And probably we know them more than we think we do. We just don't give ourselves permission to explore them or to consider and so a zone of genius is really that alignment between a person's values and their skill set. Okay. So you have skills. We all learn how to develop skills that are practical skills, perhaps. Or if you went to college, you learned how to do a certain set of things. And zones of genius space is that integration of like who I, what matters to me, like what emotional things matter to me. So one of my values is truth over comfort. So I just really like the truth, (laughs) even when I don't like the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like the exploration of truth is something that drives and fuels me. How I apply that in a zone of genius is, is that I perform best when I'm in a curious learning state. So I know that from, you know, the best use of that combination for me 
is to gather information, to listen, to lean into that exploration or help people in the exploration of their own zones of genius. So, so for someone else, it might be like, you can see it with people that are truly excellent in their field, right. you know, and the ones that sort of have sustainability to that are the people that had that alignment between their values and their talents. And it can be anything like you, you know, what is more beautiful than watching a great chef or artist or somebody curate the scarf maker that you talked about, you were inspired by her expression of herself, her unique expression of herself. So of all the scarves in the planet, around the world, in the universe, this is the one because it spoke to you on a much more personal level. Exactly. It's probably the one scarf I wear more than any other scarf that I own. And you have, you feel something when you wear it, you feel like it's not, you know, and so I think when we understand how emotions inform us, like all the time, emotions traditionally have been something that we're supposed to be scared of and like suppress or repress or bottle up or don't express, especially women. I find that interesting with women because I think part of the emergence of women is this understanding that like, yeah, emotions are just part of me and they, they don't, and it's okay. Like they're useful, actually they're useful informants. They are useful informants. Sometimes, you know, I need to cry and I can feel it coming and I'm like, oh, I really need to cry. It's such a release. It's such a gift. It's like a divine gift within us already that we have this ability to do that. And we should probably embrace it. A hundred percent. Go cry for five minutes. You're, you know, the, go move on with the rest of your day. You'll be much better for it rather than spending eight hours trying to avoid the crying. Right. That, yeah. That it's, is essential and needed. Right. Interesting. You bring that up because one time lost a, a big sales opportunity. I went to the VP and said, can you tell me why? And he, of course, told me why. And I literally left the room, went into the women's restroom, cried, came back. And my team's like, what happened? I said, I messed up. You know, I did not listen. Kind of, you know, my whole thing is listen, learn and lean in. And um, I, I screwed up the first step and, and, and the crying was the best thing I ever did. Cause it was a release of this negativity that I had, I had screwed up. And um, my whole team looked at me very differently after that. A real acknowledgement of emotion is a super vulnerable space, but I think it was grace. You showed yourself for being human and making an error. Right. And so just in, the, in that moment, it's just like that acknowledgement of, Oh, I'm actually a human. Right. Right. And it's a stepping out of ego and into yeah. self. Yes. into true self, you know? And the thing is that women have been given permission to cry more than men, you know, but men are equally as driven by emotions. So let's not, I definitely want people to understand that I agree. emotions are not uniquely reserved for the feminine. And actually like, it's been a disservice to men to have them not have their emotions integrated into their, into a, into a vocabulary or into an analysis. And I think that's the shift you see changing in, in the next decade, corporations are saying like, holy cow, like people are suffering because we're not integrating the fullness of their humanity into their work. Wow. And so how do, how does the pocket CEO help that? 
for me, we're in an early stages. So it's definitely one-on-one with companies currently. Like I, I have a client that I'm working with who he is about to launch on his own. And so we're spending a lot of time on the real values as the framework for decision-making and how they're going to use that to inform all of their business processes, how that will inform their billing policies, how that will inform the, you know, how the staff lives, how they, what will a work week look like, like creating with this value-based framework, how it's going to inform important and necessary business decisions. And so that we're never, ever not incorporating the human element. And I think that it's fun. It's actually pretty fun because it's, it's giving permission for things that people have already been thinking about and worrying about and like trying to wrestle with. And it, it takes all the, the secondary effect is that when the rubber meets the road and they are met with, maybe they have to let someone go. It won't be this big dreaded thing. It will be right. something very clear and truthful and honest, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think um, that is empowering. So for the CEO that I'm working with, it's empowering to him to say like, Oh yeah, no, no, I don't need to be like thinking about avoiding difficult conversations because I'm already like setting up the truth. So it'll just, you know what I mean? Like I'm already setting up the honest playbook at the beginning. Yep. Mm -hmm. So as you, I mean, you clearly have seen this transform over the last couple of years. What gave you the confidence to know you could go out and do this? Because I mean, what you were saying is just... It just thought provoking. I'm like, and I think you left more of a consumer side background and now you're in the corporate side, changing the way people are thinking of running their businesses. So where did you gain this confidence to do this? Because it, it is just fascinating to me. Fascinating. It's a really good question, actually. I think that, so when I left my job, I was aware personally that I was not being allowed to show up fully in the integrated way that I wanted to show up. So that was step one. And it wasn't because of the people. It was because of the structure. They were going through changes. What has been clear for me for a while is that when I'm working on something, I'm going to, it is necessary for me to show up fully. So like that, that has been a journey of self-exploration and truth for about, you know, I would say probably eight years for the last eight years of my life. So that's information. I don't know that that's confidence, but I do think that like the repeated experience of seeing people run up against the same brick wall just tells me something that there's, a, and there's another, knowing, the knowing that there's another way and another option mm-hmm. is probably what, what drives me. You know, and also I just think like we're humans are brilliant. Like we, if you think about the, you know, that's why I throw the the thing about in the workshop about you know there's 270,000 words in the English language created. That's just one of the languages created to define the human experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like mind blowing to me. So the fact that we, uh, of course we have challenges, of course we have constructs. One thing that gives me confidence is that I have a partner who's supportive and that I'm in a privileged position where I have some security financially. So it would be a different thing for sure. 
And what I want people to understand is the importance of like allowing people's humanity to come forward. Cause it's like literally only, it's the only thing that's ever resolved conflict. It's the only thing that's ever innovated. It's the only thing that's ever created the new frontier. It's, it is the only thing has been human. So, so we need to trust in and lean in a little bit more than game the system. You know, I think a lot of us are sitting around like, what's the checkbox of things I'm supposed to be doing for success, you know? And they're turning away from themselves rather than looking inward, right? And saying like, well, what do I care about? And what's what's meaningful to me? And like, I think I could do that, you know? Wow, the Oprah aha moment here. You're right. I, I think people are just checking the box. People are going through the motions because that's what they have been taught to do versus taking a risk and letting the human spirit guide their decision-making process versus having the checkbox mentality. I mean, that's exactly what I have done. We've all been socialized, right? Like, so there's, it's, I mean, listen, it's, it's not, it's not your fault, you know? Like, it's like, these are deep grooves of socialization. And really, I think the bigger, you talked about risk. I actually think the bigger risk is not self-examining. Wow. You're absolutely right. And I think if I think about why self-examining is so tough, is it kind of goes back to that thought process of what am I going to find out about myself that right. I actually don't like or feel inadequate about yes. versus embracing the inadequacy and putting on that continuous learning mentality. Yes. That's where the freedom is, right? It's like that. Like, of course, when we self-examine, it means it requires us to look at how we participate in the problems that we now have boxed over here as other. If we look at the big problems, racism, all the isms, all the conflict, this is over there. Right. And I'm just if I'm just going to buckle down and do my job and, you know, and when we self-examine, it requires that we look at how we participate passively or actively in any of these collective problems. And so this is scary. I mean, I get it. It's, it's a scary thing, but it's also where the freedom lies. And it also is where the opportunity to input your creativity and your optimism and your, you know, all the gifts that we have into action that is just unbelievably powerful right there. Yeah, because basically the freedom lies in being your human self. Like we all need each other. You know, one of the things in the last, I'll mention in the last five years, I've really been on a pursuit of self-examining my role as a white woman in a, in a society of inequity. And it's been definitely definitely uncomfortable many, many times, you know, but one of the things that really resonated in this past year on, so I've made conscious decisions to really lean into this work. And one of the illuminating things that really just uh, really moved me to tears, frankly, was this idea when systems are designed to maintain inequity in our society, when they're designed that way, not only do they hurt the person that we're keeping in that box, of course, most yes. importantly, but also we're hurting ourselves. We're like depriving our collective universe from all that brilliance that could emerge. That really shook me because I just hadn't thought about it quite in that way before. 
And so the value of equity is not about who gets which piece of the pie and whatever. It's actually like about the collective brilliance growing and emerging. And, you know, like it gives me chills to think about that possibility now. You know, I think, okay, a substandard school system that's got a bad rating that's let to be that way as it was in Ferguson, Missouri for like 12 years. It's like an entire generation of substandard educated humans. And to your point, we're the ones that are missing out. That's right. Maybe they have the cure to Corona in there. You know, maybe they have the solution for X, Y, Z. I don't know. I've done the same thing. I think um, I sit on a board, used to be called Giving Back to Africa. And now it's Malembe Rise. And it's to help young people in the Congo. And we've created a very specific curriculum that hopefully someday we'll be able to expand globally. And um, one of the things that I learned is that we as white privileged, the whole white saviorism piece. Oh, totally. And, and that, yeah. I'd never heard of that before. And I thought, wow, I need to take a deeper look into why am I doing this? What is the impact I can make? So now I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what is the human impact I can make? versus a check the box. And it's huge and it's big and it, but it, it can only happen like when you really look in that, in that, in how you participate, you know? And I think the thing is, is like when you, when we take something like racism, that is so, it's so emotional because it's, it is because it's so awful. I mean, frankly, and so you, we have to just integrate all of that, like what has come before and, we need to integrate that. That That is just part of our story. I guess I've never understood humans are humans. And that's what my family's taught me. That's what I hopefully taught my family, that we're we're just all humans trying to do the best we can in this world. And I, I don't understand why the color of someone's skin matters. Plain and simple. Well, I, I think it's, you know, when you, when you peel back the layers of the sort of structures, I mean, I, th- and I, I'm sure this is not like <laughs> the topic of your podcast, but like, you know, the original, like when we think about our founding of our nation and the very deliberate way we crafted the system to make sure that we could maintain slave ownership and things like that. It's, and it's not what we want to see, right? Because we, because part of the indomitable American spirit is like can do and overcome and so optimistic and it is optimistic, but it could be even more optimistic if it's equitable first. This is the point. Like if we really want that dream, then we need to be placing equity in the center and stop ignoring that which has happened I love that equity in the center. I think the same applies for women. Yeah, I I just, yeah, not to go off on that tangent, but if we're going to look at bringing humanity into the business world and bringing our lives together, then that is absolutely a part of that. And I think it's like we've struggled, right, in corporations and we've struggled in systems because we have taken a box checked approach to it, sort of saying like, well, but we're creating diversity opportunity and we're creating these things, but what are you doing after they, after they get there? How are we, how are we letting those voices be heard and at the table? And this is, this is the essential piece is to have, it's not for me to decide 
what the experience of somebody with a diverse, a, a different background than me, what their experience is. It's not for me in the position of power to decide that for them, you know, and that's where we stumble over the same block. But what's great, what's optimistic is you look at all of the things that have happened and these important voices that are coming to the table. And, you know, I mean, I am completely inspired and just all I can do is lean in and listen, 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 you know, and just soak it all up, you know. And it's been powerful to watch like within my own family, like the conversations five years ago when I was like leaning in and, you know, there was a little like, you know, do we have to talk about this again? And now there's a real evolution of like, oh yeah, no, this is, this is, we can't, we've got to stop ignoring. Totally agree. Well, so, so as you continue on your pocket CEO journey, what's been your greatest challenge? Well, I mean, you know, you can be a really good business strategist for someone else. And sometimes you're not always really good at your own marketing plan. So that's the chance. That is one that I definitely have, you know, I'm so grateful for the, um, when I met Sue B at the conference in San Diego, I, you know, there was just something about the way that they were connecting the dots that really resonated with me. And so I was happy to have, I've been happy to have that sort of like armchair guidance for myself. So one thing is, you know, as a coach, as somebody that helps others, I know I need coaching myself. So I think that's been really important for me to, I now have kind of in my business plan, a intentional, like continual development path for myself, right? Cause I don't ever want to get stagnant. And um, so I'm doing this inner MBA program through Sounds True and Tammy Simon, and it, it is chock-a-block full of amazing educators in the space of like mindfulness and mindful leadership Okay, in a very practical business sense. So yes, there's lots of awesome meditation and things like that, that, you know, that's one of this existed. Yeah. This amazing. Amazing. And so I'm really excited to bring some of those things into weave those into my coaching practice. And, and it, it reinforces kind of that the current way, the current way of doing business is not sustainable. And that, that we, we are, we need to evolve our thinking around what that is. And it centers around our humanity and taking humanity out of this, like, I don't know why this has happened specifically. I, I mean, it's probably worth uh, exploring, but putting humanity in, and I have some ideas around why that is, but putting humanity in like a woo woo fairy tale box means we don't have to look at ourselves, right? Wow. So what do you tell your daughter? So, you know, is there, you know, I'm not sure how old they are, but is there going out into the business world? I mean, I have a 27 year old and a 23 year old, a daughter and a son. What do you tell them as they embark in a completely different business world than what I grew up with? They are, you know, I mean, I think my, so my daughters are 23 and 25 and they are for sure have a much stronger sense of themselves at their age than I did in my twenties. I can say that for sure. They're a lot more tuned in to humanity as a concept in the sense of, especially around equity. And, and also I think they're like, I I, I think it'll be interesting because they're still going to run into the challenges that we as women ran into, which is tolerated sexism like, you know, that's another whole topic. Right. You know, like, I I mean, 
it's not, it doesn't have to be sexual harassment to be sexist. You know what I mean? It's just this sort of presumption. It's just because that's the gift that's been given to the people right. in power. So like, it's not even that it's like a bad person or, uh, you know, I right. think that we get stuck on that a little bit. There are some bad players for sure. So I think they watching them navigate at their sense of selves and also still being bombarded with all the stuff that women are bombarded with about right. what success looks like is definitely challenging for them. I guess I think the best thing I can offer them is like some grace to themselves along the way, you know, stay involved in a conversation with yourself. Just don't turn away from the discomfort, turn into it, you know? Yeah. Which, you know, Renee Brown and I mean, Glennon Doyle, like there's some masters in that space of like, yeah, yes, yes, you're vulnerable. And like, guess what? That's your superpower. So don't turn away from it. Right. You know, well, like, again, cry, have an emotion. Cry. Like, it. Okay to cry. It's funny. My dad used to say, so my dad, my parents are British and my father really just didn't like it when I would cry, but he was always a very, like, he would engage dis- discourse and debate in our home a lot. And so sometimes I would get too emotional you know, or not too. see. I just said too emotional. I would get emotional and I would feel like I was going to cry and the tears would just come out. And he would say, don't cry, don't cry, da, 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 you know, like, like that, that was a very clear signal. It was over the top. And I remember, like, I probably was 30 something before I finally just said to him, I found the language and the vocabulary to say to him, look, sometimes my tears just are going to come out and I'm okay. And I'm not going to cry and I'm not going to crumble. And I'm sorry it makes you uncomfortable, but like they're just coming and there's nothing I can do about it. And I remember like being gobsmacked and also myself to find that voice. I was like stepping in to like, right. yeah, I'm not because I'm crying. Yeah. And I think we have a tendency as a society to try to fix everything. So I think you crying is saying, do I fix that? Is that something I should be doing? Or, and, and you know what? It's not about, you fixing it. It's about you hearing me, listening to me and just allowing it, allowing the space for it. Right. Right. Like let's create a little space for a little cry. Right. There are times my daughter will say, I'm not looking for you to fix it. It just (laughs) listen. And you know, no, but it's great because she can articulate it. Right. Because like, it's the articulation that's powerful to say, yeah, because the people that are trying to fix are just, of course, they're nervous. They're in their own emotions. They're out, you know, whatever. There's a lot of uh, stimulus, you know, like, oh, but I think like, you know, there is real power um, in being able to sit with someone else's distress and just be there and not take action. Well, I think that sense of um, no one talking, like who's going to talk first sort of deal, really makes people uncomfortable. And um, I learned er early on that if you're doing all the talking, then you're clearly missing something in the conversation. So for you, I, I am a definite reformed, like guilty person of that because I, I the the silence would make me nervous, oh, right? Yeah, no, and I, would, and I would feel like, oh, I'm supposed to be like it, it. It almost felt like a call to action to me, like Karen, you're supposed to fix something here. <laughs> Quick, fill it. And it was a, gr- a very distressing revelation to get feedback. Like, yeah, no, no, no response needed necessarily. Oh you know what God. I mean? Like, what, what a great thing to learn. <laughs> well, I have to say, I, I would think any company who is working with you or any person is receiving a special gift of your humanity. I think what you are doing is 
absolutely full of, of bravery um, and you are achieving some amazing goals just by being out there. I mean, to be part of this transformation in the business world, I, I'm, I'm in awe. I mean, because that's taking a step off of, off of a ledge and knowing that a business is going to catch you because you are, you're transforming it. I, I'm just, I think it's amazing that you are taking this big of a risk because I'm sure there are companies that are going, not me. Oh, for sure. Not it's a- not for everyone. And, but I do think it will be for everyone in the end. And I think you see, maybe not in my lifetime, right? I don't know. I don't have a timeline or output like that. Um, I don't have that benchmark. I think the benchmark for me is just living really truthfully. And I listen, it's not going to be for everyone. And, I, and that's fine. It's interesting. Corporations now are stuck on customer success. It's all about customer success. How do we make them successful? And it seems that bringing humanity into it not only makes the customer successful, but it's going to make the employee successful at the same time. If we understand that every transaction ever is emotional, that means that there is an exchange of trust and emotional components that happens. Like, you know, what made you number one, it was certainly you connected on an emotional level with your customers in a way. So like maybe Cisco solutions were amazing and full of benefits and value. Undoubtedly, that's true. But at the end of the day, it was something they felt with you explaining them and guiding them through that transaction that made them pull the trigger. And so what we want to do is set employees up for success in that by arming them with the truth, arming them with backups that they need to follow through on the commitment that they're making so that they don't go to bed at night and feel like, oh, I just sold something. You know, One of my daughter's friends was over the other day and she was saying like, She's in sales, newly career. And she basically, I could tell she was wrestling because she's like, what I'm selling isn't really needed. It's not really an important part. And I was like, so you either have to decide, you know, uh, how are you going to bring that value? Because if you're not buying it, I mean, you have to buy into it to some degree. Exactly. Right. I mean, you you don't want to go and, you know, there's nothing worse, I think, than selling a proposition and then like, Believe in it, right? Well, and again, I think as a salesperson, your value is being needed and being viewed as a partner in the business. And so, if you're selling a product that isn't viewed as being valued or needed, it's yeah, that's 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 that's, annoying, right? It's like it just doesn't feel as authentic, or or it's really you know it's just going to be interesting to see how her her career develops and evolves. I was thinking one thing you said made me think of Patagonia to go back to them for a, a minute. Rose um, Marcario, the former CEO at Patagonia, she said, you know, they designed they they developed a shareocracy that was not just about the shareholders, the financial shareholders. Did you say shareocracy? That's a, that, that's a term from directly from Patagonia. And wow, I've never right, heard of that. It was the coolest concept because they're basically like their employees are shareholder, their customers are shareholders, the people that do manufacturing for them or shipping are shareholders. Having that understanding of who all the real shareholders were of their organization meant that now when they took their framework for decision making, because their values are about, you know, low imprint on the globe, they can say like when you look in, if you're shopping any Patagonia and you look, 
they're telling you exactly how it's made, what the carbon footprint is, what the impact is. So, you know, the consumer knows exactly. So you never, you and I never as a consumer have a mistrust of what we're buying. Oh, I mean, I bought two Patagonia items for my family for Christmas. So yeah. And you, um, and you bought it with a hundred percent authority that like it's, it's doing good. It's low impact. You, you know, you, your motivations might be style or that it's warm or, or, right. you know, a, a lot of variables, but at the end of the day, what you're being presented with you a hundred percent bought into. I, I mean, when I think of the reasons why you pay more for right. your jacket, right. yeah. um, the first thing that comes to my mind is the environment. Uh-huh. And that's the totally. first thing I think of. Good, right? You're you're doing your part on that. They last forever. They also take back all of your garments from end to end. Like they close the loop. They, and I think where a lot of companies do it is they start and they do about seventy five percent, and they don't close the loop on the last twenty five percent. And that's where that's the sticking point. Those are the stuck points in most companies. That's why retention goes down. That's why customers leave. That's why employees get fed up. It's I mean it's all of it's just that you've got to thread the needle all the way to the end future. And you can't do that unless you've got the framework of your values and really what matters established. You know, it's interesting when I chose to leave my corporate life, someone said, you know, you really don't leave a company, you leave a manager and kind of back to when we started this conversation, you know, it starts from the leadership, but the hard part is that those values struggle getting all the way down, especially when you have, eight or nine layers of management, by the time it gets to that level, it's so watered down and so not the same as yeah, it's not even detail oriented, right? Like, so like if you, if companies that restructure all the time, which is a natural business evolution, right? We all understand that when we work for a corporation. And I think where, where it sort of misses is like leadership has this time. Okay. We've made a strategic decision to restructure. So they, whenever that time was between when they actually announce it to the employees, they've had months to digest and see the value and understand the twists and turns and how it will all work. And then they announce it to the, and so they're probably almost excited for it by the time they announce it to the employees. They're like, they bought in. So their adjustment phase has already happened. And then when the employee hears it, it's like, they're surprised at their response, right? And it, rather than crafting through okay, here, let's explore how this is it. You know, we're going to give you six weeks to process this or two months or, you know, this is where it gets tangly, right? And we've all seen that. If we never thought of that, but you're absolutely right. The leaderships, you know, they're also the creator dreamer of that reorganization. And so for them, they're just detailing out their dream for the corporation. And you're just a supporting cast member, if even that, Um, in order for that to happen. And I wonder, like in those instances, if the manager could take sort of like 15% more effort in really getting to the, to each human, right? right? (laughs) Yeah. And sort of like hear, be like receive the information, understand, take extra time to explain perhaps. Or just give time for it to be absorbed. You know, it's one thing to say, Yep. We're making this decision and it's going to be effective in three days. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. Or yeah. Yeah, They would restructure every year, you know, every year you knew something, you know, and that's just destabilizing for people. I mean, it just is, it doesn't optimize their productivity. It takes three months to adjust to anything on a fast pace. 
Yeah, there are so many negativity sides to that, but it is a fact of life. And I completely understand that you have to go through organizations, but again, it's how you do it. And going back, it's the humanity side of it. It is. And it's, they're not using the humanity to inform the strategy. So they're using, they're developing strategy based on financial bottom line and planning and, uh, you know, spreadsheet. I mean, I get it. I, I understand completely the analysis that goes into it. So, so it needs to go back to that whole dual. The dual bottom line. They, they really do because there is a cost to that. Like what they're not in there in the spreadsheet of equation that is financial analysis for a company, what they're not factoring in is the financial cost of human disillusionment, lack of productivity, disengagement, possible loss of employees or whatever. You know what I mean? And so if you were to numerically evaluate that, you would realize actually maybe it might, I don't know what you would realize, but you would, it would inform your decision. Right. In a meaningful way. That's really the point. Wow. Well, so as you look to 2021, and you know, when, when you spoke, we talked about the human power word. Do you already have your word for 2021? It's funny because I, I have it narrowed down to a few and we did a vision board project as a family, which was not even my idea, which made me kind of giddy because um, That's cool. my, one of my daughters wanted to do that. And it was a super fun thing. So I'm thinking around the words of, it's just not quite like emotional enough yet. So, but really the construct is like deliberate, something like intentional, but, but something about doing the things that I do just very specifically and completely and not like in a runaway train. I don't know. Right, <laughs> so right. I'm, I'm still like wordsmithing it a little bit, but I think deliberate seems very, I keep coming back to that, like doing things with some precision around topics that matter to me. So around relationships, time allocation, marketing, you know, sometimes I think doing that, the pro course has taught me is that you know, there's a lot to be said for just mastering. You need to give yourself time to kind of master it, right? Why do you think we're just supposed to like have seven funnels up in two seconds? I mean, that's sort of nonsense, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, if if I wanted to look at words for me, I think I'd have to- Yeah, I was going to ask you, what are you at? Total connection. I think as, as I grow my podcast, it's all about connecting. But then I also think- Okay, that's the kind of the fluffy, cool one. Then if I had to really get down to brass tacks, it would be media, (laughs) just media. (laughs) So, you know, I think like, so five years ago, I did the word fearless, okay? And that was when I did my coaching and certification that informed that. Again, my husband, I have to credit him because he, he, I had been like, ruminating over this, I got my um, accreditation through the coaching training Alliance. And he, on my birthday, gave me the, gifted me the course and it started on my birthday. Oh, cool. <laughs> it was really funny. I know. So, and that's very his way, like silent, you know, just a little <laughs> slip it in. Go a on. Nudge. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then I've been doing this like 75 hard that Sue B did with it, which was this like getting my body moving again this year and things like that. And, and I was thinking about like the, 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 what's been germinating is one of the, maybe one of the words should be resource because one of the things I've learned in the 75 hard, it was less about like weight or any of that kind of like, that wasn't what interested me about it. It was this, it's kind of billed as a mental toughness thing. 
I, I'm very curious about these programs of mental toughness because I, I think we do a lot of like, it's, it f- feels a little bit like checkboxy to me too, like a little like in it to win it or, or fight, you know, stronger, harder. The grit only looks a certain way. And really what I would argue is grit is, can be, you can be very strong and be driven by kindness and empathy and love, uh, not be, yeah. you know. So that, is, that could be another whole topic because right. if you come from a sales environment, the mental toughness is about the forecast. It's about totally. projections and, you know. For me today, and I always said, you know, there are no history majors in sales. They don't care what you did for me last month. A hundred percent. That's a great point. Yep. So, so what are you doing to bring it forward? And so that mental toughness is so incredibly needed to survive in, in, in yeah. high, you know, high powered sales. But how do you do that in a humanity type of way? And I think back to your point, you have that, you have to have that connection, that emotional connection development, which takes a long time to it get is. It's so slower. And also, yes, for sure. And I think that, you know, my clients were all attorneys. And so there was, you know, a lot of negotiating and that kind of thing. (laughs) I think that like, you know, one of the things that that people, but I found that amusing, I guess. I don't know. I just was like, I have lawyers in my family. So it's just cute. You know, it's just cute. I don't know how else to say it. They would be really mad at me if they heard me say that. Some of my, my good clients, but they were, you know, they, they, it was just, okay. I see what you need is the negotiation. Okay. Let's go. Like, what do you, <laughs> let's get down to it. What do you need? And you know, well, what's going to make you feel like you, you did it right. When you talked last week, you had said you read 65 books this year. Was it 65? Yeah. So yes. out of that, give me some of your, your favorite books that you read. Favorites are hard because I do, I really do enjoy reading, but one of the, most, most beneficial. Yes. Okay. Well, I think for, as a woman, Untamed was a great book this year. Yeah. Uh, so an easy, you know, it's an easy read, but it's just fun. And it just, it, I think it resonates a lot. I'm reading Wolfpack right now. Oh, I yeah. love her yeah, too. They're great. the two of them is just the cutest thing ever. Uh, like really, really powerful. So of the books about, racism that I've read this year. I'm currently, I'm finishing up the new Jim Crow right now. And that is, that's, I think it's a a mandatory reading uh, for everyone. If you don't want to get into like the emotional piece of slavery, but you want to inform yourself, uh, the new Jim Crow is pretty powerful, very insightful. And then a book I actually really, really loved this year is by Jim Quick called Limitless. Because it really, he, so Jim Quick is a brain coach, a self-proclaimed brain coach. And he taps into this idea that is you, we're using, uh, you know, some people say you're only using X percent of your brain. And he's like, no, you're using all your brain all the time. We just have an infinite amount of neurological pathways that we can develop. So all human behavior, all habits that we want to form, all any of that is attainable. We can actually do it. Okay. Okay. And so I think he's kind of transformed my thinking about, so he was like a reading coach, teaches speed reading and teaches a lot of like very tactical things to do. But I think he's convinced me that really 
even I'm 52 and even I just think there's, it's really important to break out of this mindset that we're educated up through high school or college Mm -hmm. and that we stop educating ourselves after that. And an education could be anything. Like it could be learning anything, learning tennis, learning piano, learning whatever. Like I, I don't, it doesn't matter what you're learning. It doesn't have to be books. It doesn't have to be, it's just growth. It's this idea of growth and limitless. Yeah. Limitless. Yeah. Really, truly. Wow. And it's scientifically proven. I mean, it's not even like just fooey. It's not rah-rah speak. That's really the thing I want people to understand is like owning their, stepping into their own power. We talk about human power words. Those are words that like, that the reason it has to resonate with you, you know, like one of the pro coaching, I had a call with her because she was struggling and she's like, well, I chose this. And then someone else suggested this. And she was already like, should I be thinking about this more than this? And, and we like in five minutes, it was like, you know, when you tell me this word, your face lights up and you have emotion and this one, it feels like flat. So I'm going to tell you, go with this one over here. <laughs> this is where the sparks are. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So what do you see on your horizon for 2021? Well, I think I'd like to do more of this. I'm really grateful to you for um, taking time and, and showcasing my work. It really means a lot to me. Just expanding that presence a little bit more. Okay. Um, when I say deliberate, I think it's more like I, there's some writing. You know, I have lots of writing things that I've started and and I haven't pushed out, haven't put out there. And I need to kind of let go of that because I do think there's relevance and and trusting, you know, trusting that there's value in in the message, and that, and then continue working with my clients and and hopefully gain a few more. Because I've I've also wanted have been showcasing leaders that are doing this, like to try to show. Okay. You don't have to be Patagonia to do this, right? Like right. you could be a three person enterprise or a solopreneur or medium size or like it's really accessible, actually. I'm learning so many new words with you. Did you say solopreneur? Solopreneur. Yeah. Like a person, like, uh, do you like want to yourself solo now? entrepreneur? Yeah. Solo entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I didn't invent that. So, you, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, someone else did. Just, I don't want to take credit for someone else's. Okay. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you? What are some of your goals for 2021? Oh, gosh. My, again, it's all about connection. How can I <laughs> connect with as many unique, wonderful, grateful, achieving women that I can, and mm-hmm. how can I promote them? That's really what I I want to do. I mean, if, if I wanted to get brass tacks, I'd love to have a thousand subscribers to my podcast. I wanted to get that um, granular. Um, 2021 is coming up. How are people looking at their business? How are people setting goals? And And I want people to look at it from the human aspect. If there's anything that COVID has taught us, is that there's so much more to life than working 12 hours a day and that we can work from anywhere. We can get it done from anywhere. It's we don't need four levels and a swipe card to get it done. Yeah. You know, we spend like 80% of our life working, right? Right. And right. so, you know, when you put it on that metric, because a lot of people like analysis, you know, they like, they like data. Like if we're going to spend 80% of our life, our living, breathing life working, what could that experience be? How could it be more enhanced, enriched, 
authentic if we allowed our full selves to emerge and if our organizations allowed that too. I mean, it's obviously the desire for people to do that is there. And I think right. where there's a gap sometimes is like, you know, the pressure and the realities of running a company or running a business take over, right? Right. Well, and, and so yeah. it, we need to give permission. So uh, my argument is just that it's pragmatic. I'm just saying it's just not, it's just not la la land. It's just actually like, really, no, there is a way there's like a pathway and it might be five minutes of self-reflection. Well, and, and where in life did somebody say the human aspect of, of work should not be included, you know, and, and how do you, you know, it's been that way for a hundred years. So all of a sudden we're trying to undo, which has been around for so long. And you're right. It's going to take a long time to get away from that. To trust it, right? Like I think trusting is the, the scary part for people, but we can't not, I mean, we can't not take the risk. That's the thing. Like, I think what the planet is very clearly trying to tell us and inform us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very yeah. clearly. Like it's interesting. If I had, when I think about what my last director said to me, is that you are empowered to make these to make these decisions? And I thought to myself, I'm really not. Because the only empowerment you're giving me is I have to stay inside the box. And as long as I stay in that box, then yeah, I have the power. But really, the only power you're allowing me is to stay in the box. Right, right. If I get outside the box, that's not going to work because I have to, it only works if I do one, two, and three. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was my realization that I had when I knew that I had to go because I wasn't allowed to bring my full self. Right. They weren't really asking you to create or innovate or bring your ideas to the table. They were asking you to deliver. And, And when somebody brings out a spreadsheet, that is a good 10 or 15 years old and says, this is the information I want from you. And this is what it's going to look like. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah. So I am, um, oh, I, totally I, I hope in 2021 that the human spirit, the humanity of individuals comes to, to light and not just the box. Cause we are more than yeah. the box. We are. Um, and I, I do think it will. I mean, I feel that it is changing. Oh, And I think about like in your situation, like, and I appreciate hearing you share your experience about that because like, think about it now from a metric point of view. So you performed and you were the number one sales contributor or your team was right in the world. Yes. Right. And they didn't want your innovation and creativity beyond the box. Like think about how, what a dumb decision that is. I'm not, I mean, I'm just saying like, if you just look at it from that analysis, you'd be like, well, that's so, it's so obvious. It's silly, you know? Right. Well, and I, you know, my big thing learning lesson from that is you can't fit a round peg into a square right. or a square peg in a round, round hole. Yeah. yeah, yeah no. I always get that backwards. Well, and you, you wisely said, okay, well, I need to go somewhere where I can. Yeah. I, yeah, it, yeah. It, mm-hmm. It's interesting how the stress of not having a humanistic environment can cause chaos with your body and oh, with yeah. your mind. And you start to believe the fact that you can't do that anymore because I I can't fit in that box. So I'm trying right. so hard to fit 
And it's, yeah, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it becomes unnatural to the point of you're just like, bleh. You're just um, burned out. Yeah. You're yeah. Just, and that was the bigger piece. You're like, yeah, they just stripped away right. all of the things that made you, you know, and, and I think in the group, when I was saying like, and you were still performing, I'm sure. So like, this is the, this is the mythology where it gets tricky is like, oh, but look, she's doing so well. Cause just look at, you know, the success and you, you know, whatever. And you're like, yeah, but I'm dead inside. Like, is this what you want? Cause this is, this is not sustainable. Right. I mean, it's not. And, and I think, you know, when I think about this experience over just the last, you know, 18 months, you know, when you have managers that basically try to manage you with fear and intimidation, telling you you're not doing very well, or you don't get it, or you don't, you don't fit in. You're not the material that, that we need. And you're thinking, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're not doing what is necessary to have a successful team. And again, it goes back to providing only lip service versus actually being more of a fellow human being and helping that person fit into this new culture, new environment, whatever it is. Because it, it, it takes two to make a relationship work, whether it be a working relationship or a personal relationship, or in this case, a human relationship. How do you bring the human side to bear without crushing them? Mm -hmm. You know? Well, completely. And I think that, you know, the two things that strike me when you're describing that situation is like, number one, when you become a manager, like implied in that contract is that you are the caretaker of your team. Interesting. You know what I mean? And very interesting. People have a hard time. Well, the managers that maybe are challenged right. to, to deliver that, that facet, you know, really haven't, haven't tuned into themselves, right? Like right. they haven't tuned into sort of like, what does that mean? Like, what's the responsibility of that? Like, what's my, like, what is my human responsibility here? Right. We know what the list of responsibilities are. We know that we have to submit sales reports and updates and tracking data that is, is required, which we all love, you know, and, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's like, what is the, you know, what, how do we define that role of caretaking, communicating, right. you know, and the truth is because the difference is if they can tap into that and execute on that, if an employee doesn't, can't meet that, it's very clearly then a decision that that employee is just not, the synergy is not right for them and that they right, might right. need to move on or you need to let them go or whatever. Absolutely. And that's avoid exactly. any of the hard decisions, which is, yep. I want to be clear about that, you know, yep. but oh, it does know that you're like, honestly at the table. Right. And at some point you got to back away from the table, which is what I did. Yeah. You have to say well, that's it. The, the management culture, the it's time to step away. So, and I yeah. think, so when I think about, leaving into leading into braveful and how I got here, I thought, you know, it's time for me to listen, learn and lean into myself, which is what I see you're doing with these corporations, these, these businesses, you're helping them to listen to what they need, learn from it and lean in to be better um, and showing a, a true human side, which is so exciting. I, I'm ex I'm ecstatic that you are doing this, and I can't wait to share with everybody about Pocket CEO and and to maybe maybe the 
the word for 2021 can be human. It's just I mean, human. just be human, right? Like, so I'm thinking. So I'm much thinking. power in that. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's. Human, on my vision board, on my vision board, it said, uh, like, I did cut out human, the word humanity, and then I'm a big hugger. And so Ooh. I've been deprived a lot in 2020. And because um, <laughs> it's a tight circle, we haven't been yeah. going out at all. But anyway, and it's, you know, I just put hug humanity at the top. So I like that, that you that, that yeah. you have human as that word. Yeah. You know, it's what we have, and we need each other. And I do really think there's exciting innovative things when like-minded people like this get together. So I know I want to stay connected with you, Amy, because like, you know, you, we have a lot of similarities in our background and I would love to support you launching this. And um, yes, no, I mean, I'm super, super excited. So I feel grateful to uh, that. My network has expanded to (laughs) another plus brilliant human woman here. So I really enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you very, very much. And I will make sure that um, we spread the word about Pocket CEO. So love it. Have a wonderful new year. And yes, let's release 2020. Kick it to the sun. Kick it to and the curb. And gear, you know, gear up our grit for 2021. You got Bring it. All our humanity forward. So. I love it. Love it. Thank Thanks, you. Baby. Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful for the opportunity to listen and learn from such great women. So if you enjoyed yourself as much as I did, please feel free to share Braveful podcast with your friends and colleagues, as well as please subscribe to Braveful on your favorite podcast apps. Have the best day ever. And until next time, be Braveful.